Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. everyone and welcome to the four corners podcast i am shad here with matt and brad guys how are you uh good good well I, i'll say i'm good shad but yeah not because i watched what we're gonna talk about today. yeah 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 i'm gonna say i'm doing good because um i've tried to be like an impartial person with like the online fan presence but i've really been over wwe fans and how toxic they've become the last mm year and it made me so happy it made me so happy the giant middle finger AEW gave them <laughs> because they didn't get their post wrestlemania debut and then he shows up on dynamite it made me so happy i'm not yeah. even a jay white fan but i was so happy that they rubbed that in all those toxic assholes face well and it's it's i mean it's the last like couple of weeks have basically been like just l's if you're like a, a WWE fan, if you like all, if you're just a wrestling fan, which we are, and so your attitude, it's like, well, I want the WWE to succeed and be good because like I love wrestling. It's like, okay, fine, but I mean, people who are like, they clearly have a strong preference over WWE to the point where they almost have like a personal animosity that other wrestling exists, even. Like I, I'm not really like sympathetic to those people, but no. there's a lot of there's a lot of L's that have been have been going their way. And, like first off is like. Yeah. Uh, AEW announcing that they're going to do uh, Wembley Stadium. Oh, that's just been obnoxious as fuck. Cause remember, and they're all like, oh, it's, it's going to fail, whatever like that. It's like, and they're, like, oh, they're not going to sell it out. It's like, guys, internally, AEW is saying that they think that they can get like 40,000, which they probably can. And that will be like the biggest show they've ever done by like a factor of two. Like and th- those people don't understand, too, is WWE is not super popular in the UK back in like the 2000s until like, you know, they really got stupid. TNA mm-hmm. was more popular ratings wise than the WWE in the UK. Like they just mm-hmm. do not. They just do not prefer it. And I am sh- certain I am certain AEW is more popular over there just based on that fact. <laughs> I, I, I read like anecdotal stuff. Which, I mean, it's anecdotal, so it doesn't, there's no weight to it. It's just people talking on the internet. But I did see, like, one UK uh, wrestling fan, an AEW fan, and they're like, you have absolutely no idea how, like, starred for content, like, actual mm. shows, like, live shows we are uh, over here. No one should be thinking, like, oh, this show's going to be, like, a failure. Like, people will, like, buy tickets for this. Yeah. Well, remember, this... I ran the numbers in our mm-hmm. chat, just if they sold 25,000 tickets. And I said fifty dollars per, and I was de- I was pretty much dead on with what their baseline charge was, and that was like one point three million dollars. 
the the rumor is that the prices may be like 30 pounds to 500 pounds depending upon the seating um which i actually i don't know we'll see if that's actually legitimate pricing uh but that's not bad i feel like that's perfectly reasonable yeah, I mean, so. and the twenty five thousand was all pre sales. That's mm-hmm. locked up, and all of the lodging in the area nearby for that uh, for the mm-hmm. event is locked up too. So if if like what Brad said, the all that twenty five thousand pre sales at you know being conservative and saying some the equivalent of fifty bucks a pop. Uh, I don't know what the exchange rate is. That's not counting like premium stuff like ringside and things like that. Mm. They have more than covered the cost of running in Wembley Stadium already, just off pre-sale. And then everything else that comes after it's going to be pure profit. Yeah. WWE doesn't sell out Wembley Stadium. It, AEW is right at the point where they're like it's basically a break even in a new venue is is usually considered a success but that's without like general tickets even going on sale yet this is going to be a big success and you know the guys know this in the chat i'd use the term the fed pilled mm-hmm. types just being like oh it's a failure you're not gonna be it's like dude come on you're the ones that you're the same people that say that the people that are saying that seem to me – I can't swear to it because someone will come up with an example that disproves it – but seem to me to be the same people who are like, oh, Japan's just an indie. Like, you know, who'd Kenny Omega ever work in front of to for big stuff? And he's like, Japan's not really a big thing. It's just an indie. It's like I don't – look, like Matt said, if you just prefer their stuff, that's fine. But putting on the blinders – Mm-hmm. That's just being willfully ignorant, and it's really, really frustrating. And it's it, also what frustrates me is, um, and Cornette does this a lot, them treating like Triple H like he's this this great like booker and like person that runs WWE, and that Tony Khan is this mark that's out of his depth. When if you look at the last eight months. Like on a business scale and like on a talent scale, like Triple H has gotten repeatedly dad dicked by Tony Khan. <laughs> Last year wasn't a strong booking year for anybody. No. Nobody. And Tony Khan still cleaned up in everybody's Booker of the Year stuff that had popular vote to it because he did stuff and things happened. And that was also in the middle of having you know, his big main event scene get blown up by a temper tantrum. Well, mm-hmm. and I also thought it was funny. Um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping they were working WWE, too. But all of this are FTR going back to WWE and they resigned in November. Yeah. November. Yeah. And I actually um, I know I know bald can cause some consternation on this show, but mm. I really thought when he talked about why they picked AEW was really like super insightful um kind of look into like what he values and like what they're looking for and kind of like what I think we were kind of thinking why they wouldn't go back. Yeah. Which is pretty I, much I, like I think not in the same words, but we pretty much said some variation on he's not gonna go back to somewhere where they're not valued, where they're not treated like they're important after having what three, four years of not only being 
put over well on television, but getting to work other places without it being a hassle. Yeah, and so if you don't understand, if you don't know what Dax said, he essentially said, in WWE you're just a number. When you're in AAW, Tony Khan cares about you as like a person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, can I go back to something uh, quickly about specifically about like Japan? That's like another L that they're kind of taking. Uh, the, like the WWE because it's uh, the last like a day they've had a, a big like press conference where it's going to be uh, Mayu Iwatani. I know I'm probably mispronouncing stuff, but she and uh, and Mercedes Monet, aka Sasha Banks, like they're actually they're, that's like the big matchup for the IWGP title that's going to be coming up. Mm-hmm. And if you're like a Joshi fan, and I'm not even like a hardcore Joshi fan, like because I'm still not very knowledgeable, but people are going out of their minds like like how this is going to be a great match this is like it's almost like a dream match uh and i think that i i I love how they're building it up and everything like that and of course if you go online like twitter it's like oh she's such a big nothing she wishes she was back at the fed it's like no she actually has like a huge match with like a modern day joshi legend and they've been building it up to that she's like a huge deal like she doesn't she doesn't she's she chose to to basically make her own way and she's doing it and people are so mad about that they're so like bitter about all of that they are super super salty mm-hmm. it it's honestly it's it's the blinders again i don't mm-hmm. look if 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 i one of my favorites jumped ship would i be happy about it no but it's not going to be like, oh, you know, they never did anything. It's like, no, they, they can go over there and do that. I just wish they weren't doing it there. Well, the thing is, though, we've talked about that before, and it's it's what I hate about, like, the Fed-pilled ones is when FTR were kind of, like, you know, teasing it and stuff, and people were kind of, like, getting annoyed with them, I said, well, no, they're – you know, I mean, they had already signed, so it just made it funny at that point. But, no, I mean, if you're – if you're working for AEW and WWE and you're not kicking the tires to try and squeeze a little more money out of WWE and AEW, you're dumb. And everyone everyone that actually gives a shit about wrestling should hope that everyone that has that sort of leverage is squeezing more money out of these promotions for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's I like mean, why you know. it's like why when people get mad like when a player leaves their team for more money, it's like I'm never mad at those guys. They have a they have a short window of their career where they can earn that kind of money. They're putting their bodies on the line for it. Like, yes, they should nickel and dime teams, companies, and everyone for every cent they can because, you know, uh, loyalty and all of that stuff doesn't pay your bills. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a business, so they should act like it. I mean, get you know, get paid. Like, I thought it was brilliant when Orton was doing that, when it was, like, contract time. Oh, yeah. On his Twitch stream? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that made sense. I mean, I didn't want him to do it, but it made sense. Well, I mean, I'm glad he locked that money down before he... Before he's, his back went out. Oh, uh, he's, like, is he ever coming back? There's still talk about it now and then, but... He's, uh, like, hurt, hurt, right? Like, it's, like, bad hurt. Uh, he, yeah, I some well obviously it was 
was at WrestleMania, and people were kind of suggesting, or at least people were like, oh, like that's going to be like one of the big debuts post Mania. Like that's it's, it's going to be like Orton's going to come back. And somebody, maybe it was Meltzer, somebody replied, it's like, oh no, he's not going to be back for a long time. Like he's he is gone. still. He's been gone he's more been, than a year, hasn't he? No, I don't think it's no. He's not been gone a year, but he's been gone several months. Um, and I'm not sure what he did, but I think he had to have like some sort of spinal fusion. And it was one of those like your body's done. If he if he comes back, which is not a sure thing, uh, if he's had some sort of fusion, it's like you're probably not going to see him be the same thing as he was before. Oh no. Let's see. Uh. I'm looking to, to see that, when his last match was. Oh, I, he's been... So his last match was May 20th, uh, 2022. Wow, so it's been close to a year. I, th- yeah. I thought it was... he. I thought he was able to, to work a little bit later than that, like to the summer, but I guess not. Well, and I kind of I thought, too, that the RK Bro stuff was too, like... Was like one of those, like, hey, yeah. we're going to do this to, like, you know prolong be a career. break yeah. yeah i i think he's actually better but that was something with seamus like seamus like his neck or something was like just screwed and i think that they put him in that tag team with uh cesaro uh to kind of kind of yeah the whole like bump the bump card i think it was kind of like to prolong his bump card yeah uh, but i think he's been doing like more i mean he's been doing hard hitting stuff like we did with with uh with gunther you know what and, I find interesting is, um, have you ever noticed that WWE seems to run into these neck problems a lot more than other companies? Mm-hmm. And I, my personal theory about that is because they are so overproduced, they insist they, and I've talked about this before, that they insist that they bump flat on their backs, and they yeah. take away a lot of agency from guys, because I feel like that is... Preferable sometimes, but I also think, like, you probably want to cheat the system if you're bumping that much. Like, oh, oh yeah. hey, like, I'm going to take this one off my hip or something because, you know, that's a little easier. Or, or roll the bump a little bit. Yeah. But <clears throat> there was a stretch there in the, the mid-aughts, I think, where even Steve Austin was doing Spine Buster. Everybody did a Spine Buster as a mid-match spot. It was a flat back bump. And it's like, well, okay, that's fine, but you're hammering on the exact same thing over and over again. No, it's not going to be good. Well, and I think I think they've they've done some things where they thought they were helping, but it's made it worse. Like, I actually think banning the pile drivers made it worse. Why do you say that? Because the pile driver on its front, like you can you can severely hurt someone by doing that. <laughs> But if you do it right, like they're not taking that bad of a bump off a pile driver. Like you're kind of yeah. just flopping onto a guy's legs. You're not. So instead, let's let's say let's say let's say let's say let's say three times a week working their schedule, you're going to take a pile driver off a guy. Now let's say over the course of five years, change all of those to a spine buster, and suddenly you're filling that bump card up faster because you're getting slammed right on your back. And on your shoulders versus, oh, I'm kind of flopping on this guy's legs. Like where you're taking some more danger in the moment, like it might be safer over a. It's going to be harder on the guy doing it. Yeah. Um, 
And like that might change like the way you structure the match. You might run the ropes more. Like I just feel like there's been a bad trade off with banding moves. Yeah, I could, I could. Because like, especially if they're good at it. Like if if Jerry Lawler's like, hey, I'm gonna give you a pile driver. It's like okay, like you can give me a pile driver all day, and I bet you wouldn't even feel it. My my favorite example of probably the safest driver I've seen I saw in WWE was in um it was uh the Rikishi driver. Yeah. It was just it was insanely safe but it looked great cuz I mean dude had the biggest he had uh, like not even saying he's fat, but he had like some of the thickest legs. So on the way down, you were going to be protected. It was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And it looked great, but they're like, nope, that's Paul Driver. Can't do it. It's like, well, like if, if you were going to give guys, you were going out there enough agency to kind of work their own stuff out. And some of them are like, look, I'm not comfortable with pile drivers. I know you do it all the time. I just, I'm really not comfortable with them. And the other guy, okay, fair enough. We're going to figure out some, something else out. Let him figure it out because the guys are going to know, hey, this is something I am good with taking or this is something I'm not good with taking. You know, you're not – you don't have to – if you mandate everybody works the same, first of all, it's boring. And then second, yeah, you're going to get repetitive stress injuries, the same as any other workplace, oddly enough. But, but you're a worker. Let's say – let's say – I'll use him again. Let's say you're going in there with like, let's say a Jerry Lawler and he says, okay, well I can either give you a pile driver or a spine buster. Are you going to, what, what are you going to take in that situation? Cause I think like me personally, I'd probably take the pile driver. I was always very ironically enough, very protective of my neck. So I probably would have said, Hey, I'd, I'd be more comfortable taking the spine buster. But it's Jerry Lawler, and I don't know of him. Did he ever actually hurt anybody with that pile driver? No. I can't the only Maybe. The only really bad injuries they suffered from it was Austin and Hart. Well, Austin, you know, was that stupid, um, that stupid, I don't even remember what they call it, that stupid one Owen Hart did. That square driver? Yeah, that Austin told him not to give him because he broke he, Shono's neck and then yeah, he, Hart did he it. Yeah, yeah, Austin like very specifically knew. So, with all of that being said, it would be like, look, it's it's not something I'm hugely comfortable with, but you know, you've been doing it for so long, I understand. But it, that was me. Like mm-hmm. I was real, you know, like, I was real protective of my neck, and yet still, uh, it didn't turn out being enough. Yeah. So, but like like you said though, I think the repetitive nature of limiting what people can do has caused. Issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move on, can I go back to one more thing I forgot to mm-hmm. mention earlier? Yep. Uh, again, uh, a lot of a lot of Fed pill people the <laughs> taking L's, but specifically regarding the AEW of Wembley show, uh, it has been to me very very entertaining reading Dave Meltzer on Twitter because you know Dave can sometimes be like. Like a ride dick. <laughs> oh, he's he's in he's in rare. He's yeah, in rare but form to, but to people us. were like 
ragging on AEW. It's like, oh, it's going to be a failure. Like, oh, who cares? What if they only, like, do 30,000 tickets? Like, it's going to be, like, it's like a 90,000-seat stadium. It's like, why would he run that? And Dave is, like, very, well, I say politely, he's being kind of dickish, but he's very calmly has been, like, I imagine he's running it because he wants to make money. That's turn a profit. And he's talking about how, like, if, if AEW did like less than 20,000, because they've done like 20,000, it's like that's no excuse. If they do like 25,000, 25, mm-hmm. which I mean, we already know that there's pre sale, it's like that they already like seem to be 25,000 might be like the floor, not the yeah. ceiling, the floor. Like he's, he'd be like 25,000 would be a huge success. And he's talking about how like his, he's because that this is like the real benefit of Dave Meltzer. And there are people who have said like once Dave Meltzer passes away, like we're in trouble because people don't have that like extensive knowledge of, of wrestling. Like he's he's everything that he is. Like he is first and foremost almost he's like a brilliant historian of a lot mm-hmm. of wrestling stuff. But he's he was talking about how like oh like back in the day, which we reviewed this, but like forty something years ago, uh, Larry Zabisco, Bruno San Martino, like he was saying like that that uh, show that match. Like they built it up and that that sold like thirty one thousand, uh, and was like a gigantic success for the WWE back then. Yeah, and it, I mean, look at that 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 right there made Larry Zbyszko's career for like the next like twenty thirty years. Yeah. yeah, really, really like we're like twenty five because he wasn't active for that long. But he was with he was with he was active for a bit and then he was a commentator. But I mean that that kind of made him. And yeah, it's like he was saying like, yeah, that's like 30,000. So it's like, but that was like absolutely huge. And most, most wrestling events are, are like that. So the right. idea that, like, oh, uh, oh 30,000 would be like this huge failure. It's like, no, actually it, I think that they can do more. I would not be surprised if they do 40 or 50,000 uh, tickets sold. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked, and but if they just did 30, that would be like an immense success for them. And yeah. the thing is, though, I mean, the one I think the one thing you can actually be kind of critical of with Tony, with AEW and, and venues is actually he's been too conservative mm. and not he hasn't taken enough risks with stuff like this. And based on that, I think. Um, I think they know they'll do well. Mm. And the thing is, too, though, even if it does <coughs> fail, um you like I know it's it's hack to say, but you miss all the shots you don't take. Yeah. yeah, I think that Tony was being smart in what he was doing because having smaller venues that were more full of fans who really wanted to be there made for better crowd reactions and better TV, as opposed to trying to expand. Even if he was turning a profit running the places, it would not have looked as good on TV. And it let them keep so, ticket prices lower, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think that the rental for Wembley's only like, was it 400K? I uh, think Meltzer did say 400K. That's just the venue itself. That's not without adding in like staff and such. No, I think, Which, I think usually I think when you rent the venue, the staff is like in the price. Uh, at least for the the actual venue. Yeah. If you have to do stuff like, I guess like off duty cops, other places like maybe yeah. that's more. But I would think that the venue itself should be covered by that. Uh, that actually did lead to like a very, very hilarious like. Yeah. Like somebody was like, oh no, it, like yeah, it's four hundred thousand. You also have to pay like cops and you have to add all these other fees and everything like that. And basically, if you calculate it up, 
it was like who's gonna to run a show in Wembley. It was gonna be like two million. And that's what this person like, was alleging. I know. And Meltzer was like, Meltzer was basically like, oh really? Like so wow. Like WWE has run shows there all the time. Well, not Wembley specifically, but in in UK, it's like, oh, so you're telling me like they have they have to make over two million every time to actually be profitable in the UK? It's just ridiculous. Wasn't someone yeah. like WWE's never made two million off of a show in the UK? Mm-hmm. I, I would say like they've probably rarely made two million anywhere. I know, I know where where I live when they when they when other stuff comes through nationwide. And I only know this because I was a season ticket holder for the Blue Jackets, so there's been a couple years I've lived in that stadium. Uh, most of the venue staff was the same for like a concert or like a wrestling show that it okay. was during a hockey game. All right, so uh, shout outs. Yes, wow, we got this far without even doing our shout outs. Good uh, God! Got... Oh, and I wanted to... <laughs> one more thing before shout outs. I did. I did laugh at um, Sean Ross Sapp just smacking the shit out of that that loser on Twitter the other day. Oh, you gotta uh... be more specific. <laughs> he's some. He tries. He tries to say he's from Forbes, but he's like a blogger for Forbes. Uh, it's. Alfred Konua, uh, who I believe is British, but he like lives in America. Uh, and he, he, along with several other people, uh, like Raj, if you know who that I'm talking about, yeah. uh, Louis Dengor, who uh-huh. I think that they, I think Louis is the one that they refer to as like beans and toast. Uh, <laughs> Ryan wow. Satan. Okay. It's like that. It's just brutal. But, um, yeah, Alfred's kind of like just like a WWE shill. And so, yeah. you know, WWE news comes out and he's just like, he puts the most ridiculous positive spin on it. And again, if like, if you love wrestling or even if you're a WWE fan and you are like, you, you want to hear only the best things about them. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I, I'm not really hating on that. Uh, but it, he puts like, sometimes there's spin on things, obviously, where you just like roll your eyes. And maybe there are people who listen to the show and it's like, oh, okay, they're they're like being shills read of you. It's like I I'm not getting money for this. Whereas I think Alfred does. Yeah. Get well at least he, he does he does work for Forbes Sports, but again, it's like I think I think it's like it's one of those things where it's like you write favor he writes favorably about the WWE for Forbes and then he gets uh a relationship with WWE in the sense that they'll 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 feed him stories, yeah, or they'll give him like uh, access or or and I mean it's good for the for it's good good for Forbes because it's like you know you have your wrestling reporter and it's like okay yeah because you have this uh, good relationship with them like you're a shill for them yeah all of a sudden they'll be like oh we uh oh, look Alfred I ah, I got a I got an exclusive interview with uh Roman Reigns it's like okay yeah well, I see what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and Sap has gone after some people that frankly deserve. You know, he went after Bill Batty, who runs Zero News, who's just a colossal loser. Oh, uh, I that, that guy is like ridiculous. Like, I can't see yeah. that guy. That guy's not. That guy's not as bad as like the ringside news guys who, uh, or guy, 
yeah. who has made really like out of pocket statements. Oh yeah. And also like Is that the one that like had the Nyla Rose freak out last year? Yeah, he had Yeah, a, got really, drunk and went off on Twitter. Really that's always a good weird, idea. Like transphobic stuff. Is he probably like, oh, Nyla Rose is a man. It's like that's just stop. Well, we, like that was completely unprovoked and and mean. Oh, well, we know cool. who Rick Steiner hangs out with now. Yeah, that's oh, true. Um, anyway, get those shout outs taken care of, because what we're really doing is we're we're stalling the thing that we are going to get to. Uh, First one's going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code four corners podcast. That's number four, capital C and corners, capital P and podcast. Save 10 percent off your order. Uh, Folks in eastern Kentucky could still use your help. Uh, If you feel like helping them out, go through Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot O-R-G. We go over to Matt. Uh, The other shout-out is to Orlando Cologne. Um, I'm actually going to use this as as another running gag uh, just to emphasize something. Uh, Orlando Cologne would be a perfect, perfect NWA world champion Versus Tyrus, who is the current world champion. Did you see what happened recently? No. What what are those idiots doing now? And this was, I think, I. They just had a. They just had a big show, didn't they? They did have a show. Uh, hold on. I think it was NWA. Because they're uh, they're like their talent is getting even more bottom of the barrel by the week. Yeah, NWA uh, number three one two. Oh, that actually was a pay per view. Uh, on April 7th, the headline match was Tyrus defending the world championship against Chris Adonis, who used to be Chris Masters. Yeah. Uh, 12-minute match, which I don't know why you're having, like, Tyrus actually work 12 minutes. He was, <laughs> he was – this was the finish of the match. I'm not even joking. A clearly, like, incomprehensibly gassed Tyrus. Like, Masters had, like, the master lock on him or something like that. They're like down the, on the mat. Tyrus just flings himself back, uh, and so he basically the, the ref counts the pin. He pins Chris Adonis because he's too goddamn fat for Chris Adonis <laughs> to push him off. God, I'm not can, joking. Can they I'm get Chris joking. Adonis the, the fuck out of this company? Yeah, I, I. Again, I, I, shout out to Orlando Cologne. Orlando Cologne would be a better NWA World Championship uh, title holder, and he yeah. would be. I, yeah. th- enough of the Tyrus thing. I'm, I don't like conspiracy theories. I really do think that we're like – it's a conspiracy that that maybe Billy Corgan wants Tyrus as champion because, like, I guess Tyrus goes on what – some whatever, whatever Fox show yeah. is yeah. a roll-in, and he, he's going to go on there with the title. I think that's it. I think that's like that's the reason why. Because I those people so. watch wrestling. Yeah. The yeah. NWA, again, <laughs> I mean, Impact is kind of guilty of this, too. But at least, like, he has, I guess he has a history with them. But uh, NWA still consistently employing Bully Ray <laughs> in matches. It's like, no. Please I mean, no. He's, he's been one of the few entertaining parts of that company recently. So, so we've got to uh, get into... So we, we Okay, wait, wait. If we're going to go into this, I need to prepare properly, okay? Hang on. All right. Okay. I'm we I'm gotta... just I'm I'm I've been lining my cereal with booze all day like Betty White. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
I posted a picture of like I'm getting through this pay-per-view and I was like I posted the gif of like Brock Samson when he's running over all of the the Monarchs men and he's his eyes twitching while he's lighting his cigarette in the yeah. car. That was like me. So um so we did a bit of a notorious show. This was going to be our April Fools episode, but then WWE like April fooled the shit out of everyone. <laughs> um twice but so yeah. this is um this is a, a very infamous pay-per-view Look, lots of people have talked about this we just haven't yet so we're marking it off the bucket list yep so this is heroes of wrestling so this is notoriously <sighs> considered to be one of the worst pay-per-views of all time and having watched it um i'm gonna just put this disclaimer right here do not try to watch this. It is legitimately the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. Um, it makes Blackjack Brawl look like a barrel of monkeys compared to this. It is, it is like incomprehensibly incompetent on every level. Like I've never seen a a commentator just give up during a show. Like I have Dutch Mantel. I yeah. You are completely accurate. Like I, if you had asked me before, before I watched this, what's the worst show of all time? And I know people were cute, like at the Raw after Mania, were like, like review bombing it on Cage Match, which was that. hilarious. But yeah, I, and yeah. it deserved it. It deserved it. Uh, and I understand, like, if you view a show that has like 30 minutes of wrestling and three hours poorly, okay. I mean, that's I, I'm not gonna like necessarily disagree with you. But in terms of like actual like wrestling shows that actually like tried to do wrestling, if you had asked me before this, what's the worst show? If you had told me like, if you had said like, ah, oh, UWF Blackjack Brawl is really bad, I would have been like, yeah, man, that's still really bad. That that Samson Irish Assassin match might oh, still be the worst match I've ever seen. There's it, a contender yeah. on this show that might be worse. This yes, but it, but the top to bottom. This show is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, this is the worst because Brad put it put it very well. He said, you know, the thing about Blackjack Brawl is there's variety like and it's a lot of the badness is entertaining in its badness. So it's not the same the same thing over and over being awful. But this is this is like. So Blackjack Brawl is like Plan 9 from Outer Space, and this is like Manus, the Hands of Fate. Is the I difference. actually – and going back to Blackjack Brawl, I actually thought that the Steve Williams, Sid Vicious, like, main, mm. I actually thought it was, like, oddly fine. Like, like Sid mm. actually seemed to be trying, I think, because yeah. time timeline-wise, I think he was, like, trying to get rehired with – I don't know. It was either WWE. Or, or WCW. He was trying to get hired back. I think timeline-wise, he was he went back to like WCW. It was his rehab to, tour. It was right before he showed up in WWF as Sean's oh, okay. bodyguard. But even okay. that show, that show had a good main event, I would say, and it it was smattered with like two or three, eh, okay shows. Because I mean, like the Steve Ray versus um, Tyler Main match was okay. The tag yeah. with the Killer Bees was okay. And I even think like the the Dan Spivey versus um, Mrs. Baba approved like Johnny Ace was like <laughs> okay like I mean it wasn't like terrible 
And I mean, even like the midget match was okay. Like it, it wasn't totally awful. This this show, Heroes of Wrestling. First off, it like I, I they did like a I watched it on YouTube. Uh, at, this is a, if you want to suffer through this with us, uh, it's available on YouTube. I mean, don't. But if you yes, really want to, it's available on YouTube. Uh, and I saw like at the end they they flashed up like which it must have been taped from like when they they actually aired this mm-hmm. but they had like whole thing it's like i guess like if you if you want to order the replay or, or i don't know but it was like oh 1995 and i just think about that it's like i have i have i've ordered i pay-per-views off mm-hmm. like fight or something for indie shows that are here that are much 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 less like 10 bucks and it's like the level of quality that I have gotten from like a ten dollar independent stuff nowadays, it's like it is like skyscrapers large. Yeah. <laughs> like the gulf is huge. The, this I would have been so outrageously angry at having at paying like twenty bucks for this. Yeah. The thing that I took out of what watching this was that <clears throat> i'm watching this thing go on and it is droning in its monotony is is i think the term i'm going to end up using yeah matt's one of matt's favorite words ponderous definitely came to mind but there is this level of just sameness over and over again and this droning joyless joyless monotonous boring like it as i sat and watched this i felt my enjoyment of this literally slowly drain away and the more i watched the more tired and the I've more never, tired I got and the more tired of it I I've got. never Hondras. seen it. I've never seen a show wish for its own end by the end. <laughs> Ponderous is really the only – it's the most descriptive word, the most appropriate word because it's – I don't – I don't know why this show exists. I don't see the utility were going, of it. The problem is that they were going for nostalgic bait. Okay, that's fine. The problem they really ran into, though, and it, it was what pissed me off, like, almost immediately, is – and Dutch kind of caught on that it was stupid and stopped doing it after about two matches. But they keep referencing how old everyone is. Mm-hmm. And they talk Here's about the... the 80s a lot. Like, you can tell, like, all the stuff they reference is when whoever put this shit together was, like, a big-time fan. Here, let me give you the – just for, for reference sake – this is the dictionary.com definition of ponderous. There are five. Having a great weight. Yeah, that's what I felt like was sitting on my chest. Well, and there's, um, some, there's some great weight in the main event. <laughs> a lot. Slow and labored because of great bulk or weight. There's uh, that, that main event again. Yep. Difficult to maneuver or control because of great bulk or weight. Well, main event yeah, again. Well, yeah. Slow or difficult to manage because of complexity. Does not apply or yeah dull, yeah yeah we can we can we can we can say that because they did some dumb shit in the dull and lacking grace or fluency there it is yeah 
that's the one I'm thinking of is the fact that it is just sitting through this lacking grace and fluency and dullness. That is that is like hitting it on the nose here. Brad, to your point where it's like it was kind of like an 80s nostalgia throwback type of show. The problem is and if you watch it on YouTube, which I did, that it's it's not the best like visual quality. No, okay. this is obviously like a VHS tape at some point. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like great. this. It's not like yeah, it's not streamed. Uh, it's it's you know it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's yeah, like, it might have it might have it might have looked acceptable. Yeah, live. but it, so it's not good copy. So if you visually watch it on YouTube, it's you very might dark. Think it is dark, and you might think that it is of a certain time period. When I first watched it, started watching it, uh, and the first match, of course, is like Samoan SWAT team versus uh, Marty Jannetty and Tommy Rogers. You may be mistaken as to what time period this is from. I was thinking like, oh, this, this is like, and I, if you watch the card, it's like, okay, well, I can, I can appreciate that. You know, there's 80s guys on it. This is like, this was done in like 91, 92, right? Oh no, oh no, no. This event was held on october 10th 1999 yeah we almost were in like the 2000s yeah we were literally days weeks away from the 2000s and like there was absolutely no excuse <laughs> for what was happening here yeah. it's like why would you include certain guys other than the fact that they're available but like why would you hire people that were like so from and not even from like the late 80s like a lot of some guys in there were like early 80s it's like dude no 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 no. yeah there were guys there were guys that were washed by the end of the 80s yeah spots on this (laughs) this was um so given the time period this was somebody looking around going wrestling's hot right now if i put on a pay-per-view i'll make money who can i get well, and, see, I, th- I think the I think the problem though is whoever did this was like a huge WWF mark, so they're mm-hmm. booking what they wanted to see. Because I I did a thing in our chat where I just I think I took two people off the show and added three people and moved stuff around and like the card I made sucked, but it was way better than this card <laughs> because I hid people, I hid the really bad ones. Um, I brought in like Bobby Eaton and the, the Rock and Roll Express just to do a Midnight Express for his Rock and Roll Express match that wouldn't have been great, but it would have been better than anything on this show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I just think like had, you know, they had some creativity and not been so blinded by, you know, bringing in WWF guys from the 80s. They could have had an OK show. Yeah. Yeah, they could have had an OK show. Because I was looking at this and thinking about who was available at the time. And they would have been fine for the time period. I'm like, well, you know, they're in Mississippi. Why not bring in, like, Bob Armstrong, Dirty White Boy, and Tracy Smothers? Because they can still work. Yeah. Um, Why not bring in Tom Pritchard, who can still work? Yeah. Um, There's there's one match on this card I look at, and I'm like, okay, there's there's a... uh, there's two guys I see there that were not that were not didn't like make their name in the WWF and they were put together in one match. Um, 
they should not have been, but they were. Well, they, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we'll get to it. So let's uh, let's get this crap show on the road. So we start yeah. off with King Kong Bundy doing a promo, and um, he gets into it with Yokozuna, who he's facing in the main event. Um, I'll just say right off the bat, King Kong Bundy was putting way too much effort into the show. Um, he <clears> cuts <throat> two promos, which I thought were pretty good, um, and he tries really hard in the ring. So I Bundy felt... Bundy was trying to be a professional. Yep. And um, I and think I, out of the whole thing, the people trying to be a professional and not straight up phone it in for, oh, let's just go, go just go do our stuff and get paid. <clears throat> that like Bundy and Jim Neidhart are the only names on the card I look at. And, and uh, them... one man gang, one man gang was trying really hard. OK, I'll give him that. Yeah, that's kind okay. of the story that's paid for you. Like there there were certain people that were trying and just they 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 had nothing i kind of felt like bob orton jr tried really hard too yeah i i don't know that i'll agree with the really hard part but yeah we'll go with it i mean he he was in there with he was in the i mean he was in there with someone that was like so fucking useless they couldn't even do their finisher right uh yeah that's that's not wrong but watching it as as much as I could without, you know, hitting my head on the desk, I was going, well, you know, it, yeah, he he's doing stuff. To, he was at least trying to earn his paycheck. But how much is he how much is he doing here? Right. Like how and I'm like, I don't know. It's really hard to tell because this is anyway. Yeah. So, um. Bundy actually looked in pretty good shape too. Uh, yeah. Versus a lot of other guys on the show. So we're gonna we're gonna start our main event off here. So we have the Samoan SWAT team versus um, Marty Jannetty and Tommy Rogers. This is not the Samu and Fatu version. This is the Samu and Samoan Savage, who is like the third off-brand guy you bring in <laughs> for this. When I heard that, I was like, Simone SWAT team. Okay, that's... And then I, I looked at... I went and looked it up as I was going through, because I was like, I have to know how much I'm sitting through. And I was like, the Samoan sat... Wait, what? Tonga kid, apparently. Yeah, he... I had to go look that up. He he did, like, world-class... Like, I think um he came in when they were having their run in um, WCW. It's just... He's not Didn't, like he's not like a super well-known guy. Like he's he's pretty obscure with some runs here and there that you might run across. The, to me, like the most notable thing that he ever did was he was Roddy Piper's uh, cohort in Body Slam. If you oh ever watched God. that movie, wow! I watched wow. that. I. I, I I don't own that film, but I watched it a couple times when I was like younger because it, it would air like on the uh, on cable, or whatever. But I thought that was like really entertaining. Wow. And I actually thought that that Sam Fatu, uh, Tonga Kid, actually was pretty entertaining in that. And Roddy was of course Roddy, and it had Dirk getting yeah. uh, <laughs> a friend of the show, <laughs> friend of the show, Christy Petrillo, probably like is a huge fan. But Dirk Benedict from A Team. Nice. Okay. So this match is not good, but there was nothing overtly wrong with it. It was fine. It was it was lazy. It was adequate. 
Uh, it, it it was pretty clearly lazy. It's like, yeah, we'll go out there, we'll do our stuff, we'll get our check, we'll go home. Yeah. Which, I, you know what, I, I guess, fine, but... I think those guys <laughs> took one look around and they were like, we're not killing ourselves for this. No. Uh-uh. No. It's just like, no, I'm... I'm screw you, pay me. Um, yeah, and it's it's honestly it's fine. It, they're not trying hard, but they're not they're not dogging it completely. Like they they put together, they do something. Yeah, it's, you you are it's being way more complimentary to this than 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 I would be. Like I I did not like this match at all. I, I it's not as terrible as other matches got in the show, yeah. but I didn't I I would have. If you if I had to give like a star rating, I would have probably put this as like a dud. I, I just didn't care for it at all. Oh I'd no no this. no! I wouldn't give them much for it, but I would say you know they didn't like intentionally dog it. I you know, I it would was probably just like they give just this, didn't try. I'd probably give this like three fourths of a star if I was in a good mood. Like there's only one match that I would consider that I was even remote. I even found like. I even found myself like mildly entertained by. Mm. Um. So yeah, this was not that match. No. And, and so we had this. We had ten minutes of what was effectively dicking around. Yeah. That it was ten minutes on the nose of effectively these guys dicking around and basically trying not to have to bump. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So up next we have, um, Greg Valentine against. George Steele with Sherry Martell managing George Steele. I think there was a Sherry Martell promo in there. Yeah, there was a... Before this match, there was a thing that didn't really make... They are just like, yeah, we're here to do the thing. It's like, Sherry, why are you with George Steele? Isn't that kind of outside of you? No, George is great. Bye, we gotta go. Yeah, so this is this is... This is a number one, a crime that you should never make if you're running a show like this. Do not have people turn on each other um, on shows like this because it doesn't make sense. There's no like value in it. There's no suspense. There's nothing. It's just doing it for the sake of doing it. And in the course of this match, Sherry doesn't just turn on George Steele, she like flip flops back and forth. Yeah. With and I'm like why? Like I guess the story is supposed to be that she doesn't want George to know that she did it, but on the other hand, like you want your storytelling to be direct enough that people are able to just kind of pick up well on it as opposed to like what happens now it's like no 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 don't do that don't do that yeah and and you're really in trouble when the manager on the outside is willing to bump more and is more trying harder than the people in the ring yeah so this sucked um oh yes yes it did mercifully it was was six and a half minutes i was gonna say it still sucked yeah i was gonna say god they gave this six and a half minutes it it was just bad it yeah, I I kind of even like George Seal in a way, in a weird way. He's like a guilty pleasure, uh, and I, I I actually have grown to really like Greg Valentine. Like I think Valentine is like underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a guy you're gonna put a world title on or even like no. 
a, a major mid card title, but he's a, he's like a good hand. Like he was way washed at this point. I feel like he could still I, put on could, decent stuff. You could tell yeah. he got out there and he's like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. So he just came. <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah. He just, he was just filling time. Yeah. And, and George still wasn't even like doing his stuff because they were probably like, no, you can't tear the turn, but local pad up because we can't afford another one. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. And you know, it, th- this is really where it got really bad. Where like the, the member berries really started coming out. Mm. And, um, and that's when I kind of, cause I started watching this before the other guys and I'm like, wow, they're really pointing out how old everyone is a lot yeah. and they need to stop doing it. So Dutch Mantel, uh, I've, I stumbled across, it was from the WSI YouTube channel. Oh, interviews, and the, the guy talks, that guy talks with Dutch Mantel a lot. The the four which, and a half minute clip of him talking about this show. Yeah. And he was just like, no, no, no. This sucked. Like, there was nothing good about this. This sucked. No, he said he said there was one match that was kind of OK. But he was he was it was supposed to be him commentating with Gordon Soley. Mm-hmm. All right. Which you couldn't remember on that clip. Um, uh, he said he says I was supposed to commentate with someone but they, they canceled, he, and then he said this this Randy Rosenberg guy, Rosenblum, yeah. guy, he said, well, he didn't know anything about wrestling, and I didn't know that, and then, you know, which I wish I would have known because I could have worked with. Yeah, with it. but it's it's 100% clear from watching this that don't nobody know. Um, and, oh, God, like, he's... This Rosenblum guy, I've got to give him credit. At least he was trying to be a professional and keep stuff moving. And we haven't hit the point yet, but we'll get into it with Dutch later. But this was just, God, it was bad from ringside. What's the next one on this? This is a good match. So this is two cold Uh. Scorpio versus Julio De Niro. Now, for some reason, Too Cold Scorpio has a replica of the World Championship Wrestling World title, but it's, like, such a shit copy that I swear that it was, like, maybe one millimeter thick of a plate. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty clearly bad. The chintziest thing. that No one acknowledges it, either. And then, like, Lou Albano comes in for commentary... And it's not quite as annoying as you would think, but like this is not the one match. This is the match you shouldn't have done that. So they have a match, and it's fine. They do some flippy shit, and they kind of try to have a match, and Two Cold Scorpio wins. And um, I was like borderline almost entertained by this match. Uh, this match is going, and. I know that Julio Fantastico was he was just doing his gimmick, mm-hmm. but the whole thing being like, no, I am to wrestling what Michael Jordan was to basketball. And I'm like, dude, no, you are trying way, way too effing hard yeah. for this show. Uh, well, I mean, this is I mean, he was like the only indie guy they brought in. So, like, this is the most people that had probably ever watched him wrestle. So I think like. He wanted to leave an impression. And I guess he kind of did, because I think after this is when he got hired by UCW. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. So he, I I, I would agree that this, uh, well, this far and away was the best match in the show. Yeah, he, he joined ECW after this and teamed with Easy yeah. Money. 
Yeah, and I I okay. don't think that this was a bad match. It was is that, but I I didn't think it was great. It was just like if you this would be like a maybe like a TV match in WWE this would be something or, like or AEW worldwide back in the day. Yeah, like nowadays, like you probably you probably see something like this on like AEW Dark. Like yeah, it's, it's 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 a perfectly fine match. Like it's it's not offensive that it's taking up your time. Like it's decent. So. Yeah, and f- fun fact: uh, Julio De Niro teamed with CM Punk in TNA in the early days. Oh, really? Yeah, and they're part of Raven's stable. He probably uh, and shares he, a bank account with his mom too. And then he was out of a job because CM Punk can't yeah. you know, behave. Yeah. So. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it looked for all the world to me like at the end of the match, Scorpio does a big spot and then he goes and does it again. Like same spot, does it again for the finish. I don't know if it's just me, but it looked for all the world to me like he just straight up missed. I that, exactly like it looked like he did both times. Had, yeah, I actually I had to rewind it and. I, I still think that he missed, but mm-hmm. I'll give Julio Fantastico credit. Like he sold it. Yeah. Uh, it, it Scorpio maybe could have like hit his head, but like Julio like sold it like that, like he did. So I will give him credit for like good selling if if the move didn't actually connect. I yeah. wasn't rewinding anything on this show to see. That. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I cannot blame you for that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm watching this this show and and it's like, okay, they're doing they're doing stuff, I guess. And then they get to this and and here comes Scorpio and he does the thing. I'm like, wait a second. And then he went and did it. I'm like, no, he missed bigger than hell. And then Brad had already sent us like, well, that was the good match on the card. And I was like, oh, no. Because, like, as you guys said, this was fine. It does not get better from here. No, it just gets worse oh and worse. Oh, my God. And worse. So now, um, now we get to the real treat of the evening. And I'm pretty sure Dave Meltzer gave this match minus five stars. Um, <laughs> so. I think Brian Alvarez, uh, I don't know if he still does, but Brian Alvarez at one point, I think, said it was like the worst match he's ever seen i think i think i agree with him um so this is the bushwhackers versus iron Sheik and nikolai volkov now i know you're probably already thinking wow this is bad but they got almost nine minutes yeah they got so much time and the only person that gave even half a shit was nikolai volkov yeah see this is why i i wouldn't i would not personally say it's the worst match i've ever seen uh, because Nikolai seemed like he was really actually trying. Like, he actually went into this being like, okay, I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to do everything here. And he did the best that he could because everyone else is basically just, just horrible. Iron Sheik is, like, not even mobile. Yeah, this is this is a couple years before he won that... Um nostalgia oh. battle royal at mm. wrestlemania 17 because he, <laughs> he had to win because he yeah, couldn't take the bump yeah he couldn't take the bump out 
Um, now, I will say what's remarkable about this match, if you ever want to see a color commentator just die on the inside, this is a, this is a great yeah, example. Because Dutch broke character, because I don't remember what Randy said, but he said something like, well, the Bushwhackers are going to end this, and, and, and Dutch kind of like really just dejected, says, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that myself. Yeah. We had, in in the course of this match, Dutch Mantel's soul dies. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can, and his energy is just gone the rest of the show. It is, it is. He has just the curse of this show got him just like it was me. It's just like all all the air has gone out of the room, and it's just like, oh, and my head is heavy, and I had to break this up because I could not watch it all in one go. Nope, I could only manage like. 20 to 30 minutes of it at a time. Like the Bushwhackers Iron Sheik Volkov match is just, there is so much not doing a damn thing in it. Yeah. Cause I was powering through this and I'm like, well, this sucks, but it's okay. And then like after this match, I was just like, I can't do it anymore. The only I'm, reason I got yeah. through the main event like I did is because that, that like the way they did that, like, it wasn't good, but at least like it, it flowed enough that you could power through the last half hour. Yeah, we'll we'll get, but this just sitting here, this match is just like I'm sitting here and I'm I'm going through it and I'm I can't put my head down because of how he- heavy my head is because the match isn't over yet. But nobody's trying to do a damn thing this is like mm-hmm. fucking george um george r. r martin and you know promising dragons and there's only wieners <laughs> sorry i i just that i just had that butters rant going through my head about how there's never dragons it's just some guy's wiener that's that's like what this match is to me yeah uh, no i i get it it it's it's just it's wieners. It's just wieners all the time, and then you get the theme song, which goes wiener, wiener, wiener. Like this match happens, and nobody there, with you the know, exception of Olkoff, is like everybody's like I ain't working, I ain't I ain't doing shit. There, there's um, actually a funny side story to that that's more entertaining than the show. Um, they asked him about that episode, and he's like, well, he's like actually like they were pretty nice to me. Like he's like, but he said like they got one thing wrong. He's like I like boobies, not wieners. And then he proceeded to not write the next book for what are we in like year thirteen of that? Something like that, yeah. He's never finishing it. Uh, no, I'm convinced that he's not finishing it because frankly, he, doesn't he know how saw to end the it. way he saw the way that the the show ended, and that was his that was the ending he was gonna do. They didn't do it the way he was gonna do it, but that was the ending he was gonna do. And everybody's like, <laughs> and he's like, uh. I don't know what to do now. Well, I think I think the other problem is is I don't think so. I don't think he plans when he writes. I think he just kind of goes with the flow, and yeah. I think he realizes he wrote himself into a corner. And I think he just likes doing the stuff where he gets his ego stroked, like going to Hollywood premieres and like working on the TV shows. Like there's yeah. nothing in it for him to like actually do work and figure out how to pound out like probably the last 400 pages he needs to to get that last book done. Yeah, it's a, um, I mean, among creatives, it's like, oh, I've been working on this. Now I'm going to work on this. Now I'm going to work on this. Yeah. Now I'm going to work. Yeah, that, that's a. And I bet there's no notes. So when he dies, like there's no way to finish that thing. 
I, I he told he had to have told his wife being like after the the bad reaction that got he he has to have been like oh it, I think that what we probably got I mean obviously like the showrunners of the show actually had some input but I I do think that what the ending we got was probably like what was he was gonna write and it got so poorly received that I'm he may be like changing it up if he ever finishes yeah which at this point I don't know that he will i mean he he might leave instructions as to how things should be finished uh like could you get sanderson to do what he yeah. did for this for wheel of time <laughs> that's, that, that, that's the joke that, that i haven't read wheel of time i'm actually reading the first book now slowly did you uh, see what that because... fucking asshole wrote about sanderson and that oh wired... yeah that tone deaf idiot uh what happened so this guy goes to do an interview with brandon sanderson and dogs the living shit out of him he for the seemed, entire time. He seemed to have my my personal theory is that guy has some like real strong prejudice against Mormons, and that's like where most of that was born out of. It's like some anti-religious. Hey, he I went in with an extra grind. Yeah. I know nothing about Ryan Sanderson, so Brian. Other than like Brandon, the Brandon, guy that Brandon they had, sorry. Oh, Brian. They had Brandon. To, like, yeah, they had to go to him to actually like finish Wheel of Time. Well, yeah, because uh, and he did it like Jordan quickly. Died. He did it in a very reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. Jordan's writing slowed down because he got amyloidosis, and his and Jordan's wife, who was also his editor with Tor, said, "I think that Sanderson is the guy who could do this properly." Mm-hmm. So she asked him to do it. He had grown up reading it, and he's like, "Yeah, I can do it." The interesting thing that the difference, oddly enough, between Sanderson and Martin, Sanderson is he plots everything, but he's expansive when he writes. So he he's got his outline and then he adds two and adds two and adds two. And it's like, son of a bitch, Brandon, will you get keep it in your pants? For God's sake, we don't need more on this shit. Well, then Brandon is like Brandon's a fucking animal with like writing, too, because that guy just that guy just plops down like an 800 page book like yearly he well he has clones um oh okay uh, i went to go see jim butcher at a book signing in lexington and someone asked him like how do you think brandon sanderson's able to do all the stuff he does and butcher looks around and looks over his shoulder out the window behind him and he leans into the mic and he goes clones there is no other possibility no i i think i think what if he got like ten thousand monkeys on ten thousand typewriters because um how many how many monkeys are supposed to be able to like write shakespeare a thousand i'm not sure because you if you if you double if you like you know times that by 10 you can get like 10 you know shakespeare's out of said monkeys uh speaking of jim butcher uh i am at this point like probably over a dozen books uh <laughs> in the like stack I, yes well that not that i've not read i've read like the first like five or six books uh, that he's done for the harry dresden files but i i've i people friends of the show uh like dames daming gonzalez like he constantly is like perplexed that i will spoil things for myself and it's like i rarely do i find like i actually care so much i mean i kind of i my curiosity of wanting to know what happens is is way more stronger than like me being upset about spoiling things. I, but you know what's funny is people get mad at me for that, and I'm like, motherfucker, mm-hmm. I'll forget by the time I actually get to. <laughs> yes, that. 
Uh, but I I've read like the plot and some of the like the TV tropes uh, stuff for mm-hmm. the most recent uh, Dresden uh, novel, and I'm like, damn, I need to read through this whole damn series. And I hope that uh, however, however old like Jim Butcher is, like I which I don't think he's like no, he's twenty not, something. He's, no. he's he's like maybe in Probably. the 60s. He's no wait no Butcher. Butcher's only a little bit older than we are. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Well, yeah. all I know is, like, I don't want... I don't give a... Sadly, like, I, I kind of don't give a shit about J.R.R. Martin. G.R.R. Martin. Any, like, I, I don't want him to die. That's not like that. But it's also like, dude, you, you've had a long time to finish these books and yeah. you're not doing it. Yeah. But I, my, my thoughts on Jim Butcher, it's like, look... You need to make sure that you finish this series. Yeah. And if not, yeah. like you need to leave detailed notes so that somebody can do it for you because it it seems really really cool. So the okay, um, the sci-fi read... show from the mid two thousands for don't, Dresden just, Files. Just it's, don't. it's not bad. It's not bad. Don't expect like great, but it's not terrible. It is not. If you watch the the sci-fi show, you are not getting what you would expect out of the books. Let me finish my thoughts real quick. Sanderson, expansive. Martin is remarked on people as being an exploratory writer. He finds where stuff goes as he writes it. There's your problem. He did, he he had where he thought he was going now. He can't go there now. I, I'm convinced that's what it is. I don't have anybody vouching for it, but I'm convinced that that's what it is. But now, um, to the, the Butcher stuff, Jim Butcher, first of all, he had this stint where he wasn't writing because his personal life just detonated, but – he is consistent. He is capable. He has had the entire book series plotted out mm-hmm. since grad school. He had an – I'm not going to do the whole story, but the Dresden Files are quick reads. They're fun, and I love them. Mm-hmm. I have no, read all of them. I've read, I think, through like book six, which is Blood Rites, mm-hmm. and I have enjoyed every single one of those. And again, it's at, he just – uh, it's like 2020 yeah. was – book number 17 and he he at least has several more like planned like outlined mm-hmm. or whatever but it it's i think it's a great series so it's like oh yeah he, i love it it looks like he's 51 which is not not old but it's also like dude i don't need you getting cancer or anything horrible <laughs> i need you to like finish this series like even if hopefully like we know yeah. that my <laughs> yeah that's uh, okay other story i got for you real quick because the audiobooks are actually read by james marsters from mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Marsters sat down across, and he Marsters told literally told me this at a convention. He said he sat down across the when he finally got to meet Butcher, he sat down across from him and he said, Jim, listen to me. Um oh my god, I'm gonna forget the name. Um I gotta I gotta make sure I do this right. Uh he he said, Jim. Listen to me. He goes, okay, what is it? He goes, Ian Fleming. He goes, okay. He goes, Ian Fleming just sat and wrote Bond books. Just write Dresden and get it out, man. Come on, you're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) And Butcher says that he he has some other stuff he does between Dresden books, so he doesn't end up hating writing Dresden. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I kind of get that. But we're all doing this to distract from the fact that we really don't want to go back and talk about Heroes of Wrestling again. Yeah. But we kind of have to because otherwise we'll never get done with it. Oh, God. What's the next match, Brad? 
Uh, the Tully Blanchard or Stan Lane match. That was the one I referred to, the two guys who didn't make their bones in the WWF. But I, if you had told me that you're going to see a Tully Blanchard-Stan Lane match and it's going to be... Give me an adjective. Nothing. It, it's it's going to be bad. I would have thought you were screwing with me. Well, I mean, Tully hadn't been like a full-time wrestler since 89 at this point. Yeah. Except for like a stint in ECW where that match wasn't great. And um, he's looking pretty old here. And then Stan Lane hadn't been a full-time wrestler for like four or five years at this point. Yeah, okay. So they're both just drastically out of practice. And so we've got Tully Blanchard versus Stan Lane. Stan Lane, he's got a weird like haircut going on here. He's got like. It's 1999. He's got like the platinum blonde, bleach blonde flat top cut going. He got sort of weird. Like, is he trying to be like flare reminiscent? Like, right. I, I, I didn't understand what was happening here. I didn't either. But we had this match happen. And again, from everything that we've even watched, talked about on this show, how you have these two guys have a match this bad with each other it was it was not good and i felt like the build to it that they showed through like video clips where it's like the uh stan lane like attacked uh tully like it, it seemed like it was a i don't know how to describe it it, it slight i'll say slightly compelling yeah it seems like they were trying at least to do it. I mean, look, Ric Flair's last match, air quotes, <laughs> was not good. No. But they did really not good, but they did they did a build to it. And they had like Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal like attack him. And yeah. like Rick had like the white shirt on. Like they used uh I I think they used like Karen Jarrett's high heels like they can bleed like they like jabbed it into his like his, his forehead and it it wasn't a it wasn't a good match again but it was like the sell to it before yeah wasn't was good i actually felt it was like pretty interesting to me like he okay. had jay Le- like he's flair's bleeding he's like bloody and jay lethal's like screaming at him it's like i loved you i loved you <laughs> it's like damn okay well, now you kind of sold me on the match a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and this was not that. Like they, no. I feel like they should try to do some weird. I'm gonna beat you up beforehand. Selling of this, but it didn't. It didn't really strike me. Like it. It, it, it was this weird thing where like you're so, like with all the nostalgia stuff. It's like, well, I don't really remember these guys like having much of a beef back in the day. It was like a weird. Like if you think if you stop and think about it, it's like well, why would Stan Lane and Tully Blanchard like have a problem with each other? Mm-hmm. They didn't interact all that much, did they? No, and and there was this weird stuff where um in the match like Randy Rosen Bloom, sorry I have to look every time because I want to say Bird <laughs> got in this like weird rut where he's like well the ladies just love Stan Lane and it's mm-hmm. and Dutch is like looking around he's like. I, don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't either. 
and it's like a, <laughs> it's like a weird it's this weird tangent because i'm like well you guys are selling like tully as a face and now you're saying this stuff like you're fucking up like the dynamic of the match yeah yeah uh, and you've got this match going on where it it's not working. No. But you're like, um, what what exactly are we talking about here, bud? Because because uh... Stan Lane wants all those Biloxi sweat hogs to keep it down <laughs> while he takes off his robe. <laughs> yeah, it sure looked that way. Um, and in the course of watching this, I'm like, what? I do not understand how. Like, ring rust, at the very least, I would have thought, with the people that we've got here, I still would have thought, even with ring rust, that you would have had, I don't know, a certain amount of expectation or just residual skill or something that would carry over. You know what I don't understand about this? Like, if I was booking this show... And the match would still suck, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do like Tully Blanchard versus Greg Valentine, and really sell like, hey, this is the clash of like second generation stars? I I don't have an answer for you, man. There is so much about this that just does not make a lick of sense to me. I don't think Stan I, Lane wrestled much after this either. It, it, <laughs> I can't say I necessarily blame him, you know? Yeah. Um, I just... I, I did not... Did not... I, I was so confused by this. It, this match is incomprehensible. And, like, so many levels. Yeah. It's, it's just not... It's really not good. No. So do we want to move on to the next one? <laughs> because yeah. it, it doesn't get any better so the next one this one's no. real bad so this is one man gang versus abdul the butcher so this is now i'm gonna be nice to one man gang one man gang tried really fucking hard but um abdul the butcher is fat and he can barely move he can't bump there's blood for no reason and this is pretty much just like one man gang like throwing himself at a brick wall for Oh, God, how long was this? Seven minutes. Jesus Christ, we have a seven minutes. <laughs> seven and a half, yeah. Um, this is pretty much just one-man gang throwing himself against the wall for seven and a half minutes and getting nothing, like, in return. And the thing yeah. is, like, one-man gang is obviously washed in this match because he was, like, years before this, but he at mm-hmm. least tried. He was like, well, I'm going to try and make this entertaining. And, like, Abdullah had nothing. Well, when you say blood for no reason, the thing that... I'm convinced that this was this happened because not because it's like, oh, I'm going to blade here. It was just straight up. If you if you punch Abdullah the butcher anywhere near his head, all that scar tissue is just going to split open and he's going to start bleeding. Yeah. (sighs) Again, the word ponderous comes to mind. It's like I didn't I didn't understand this match. I didn't need like the uh, close ups got, of one man gang getting forked either. Yeah, it it got like incomprehensibly violent, which it's like I say that even knowing that Abdul the Butcher is one of the competitors in the match, it's like I didn't. It's like I why why is this so? Why is everyone bleeding like like a stuck pig? It's it's for nothing. Yes, I, this is like 
No, it, it is for nothing. It's like, why? Like, Abdullah can... Abdullah is at that point where it's like, he really... He can't really do shit. He can barely get in the ring. Yeah, and one man gang is... He is kind of trying, but it's like, what's the point of this? Like, you're, you are bleeding for... I guess it's for a pay-per-view. I mean, but I... I doubt you're even getting like that much money. Yeah. 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 I mean, David did, but I don't. I don't know. I. I don't That's know. a real good way of putting it, Matt. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Uh, they they have a garbage match, which you kind of expect given who's in it, but they didn't have plunder. That was the annoying part. Yeah, uh, just the fork. Yep. Just the fork. Yeah. So next up we have um so they set an angle up with this of like I guess Bob Orton cheating Lou Albano and Jimmy Snooker at cards. Oh my god. And I don't I didn't even understand like the way they did the angle. Like I don't even know what he supposedly did. That he had a card under his leg for when he got up from the chair or something. I'm like this is what? Yeah, I don't. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is Jimmy Snuka with Lou Albano versus uh, Bob Orton Jr. Now, um, they did a replay, and I will say this like summarizes the whole match. So the replay is Bob Orton Irish whipping Snuka into the ropes, and on the slow mo replay, pretty much the thing that jumps out at you is you can just see Snuka's old man titties flopping away. <laughs> It's he's hitting the ropes. I I told this to you guys like off uh offline, but it's like there are people like obviously we've talked about like Jay Strongbow as yeah. someone that I think is just terrible. I'm gonna be realistic with you guys, like I cannot say I've ever seen a Jimmy Snooker match that I've liked. No nope. like I don't really like Jimmy Snooker at all. I think the nicest thing you could probably say about him in this match is he probably didn't kill any women like in the in the days surrounding yeah. this match, but look at the timeline. Timeline wise, like he was well into his fifties when this happened. Yeah, it's like he there was, was no point in this. He, he was, was not six, not yeah. in the shape he needed to be in to wear the gear he was wearing. Yeah, like that 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 should have been it. What's the old Orton was for this? Like Orton this was. match was basically Orton being like, "All right, I'm gonna work the arm," and then Snuka just taking whatever Orton gives him until there's one headbutt, and then there's one, um, and then like Snuka does two moves basically. Mm-hmm. Also, Dutch is fixated on calling him Snuka, which yeah. I, I don't, I don't think. Anybody else ever called him? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I and don't think... and the other guy's like obsessed with this like 1984 feud, which I guess happened. But I'm like, I don't think that's like something people really like remember yeah. enough yeah. to like enough to like stick with it. And um, I looked it up. Orton was 49 for this match. And the sad thing is on his Wikipedia, it's it's a picture of him like. And Snuka in a match in 2009. What? Yeah, go go look. Click on Bob Orton ten, Jr.'s name and like ten years after this match. Yeah. 
Oh. And at God. least for that, it looks like Snuka put a shirt on. But Snuka at that point would have been like in his 60s. Yep. He would have been 66 uh. and Orton would have been 59. But it, this is this is this match is just terrible. Uh, like oh, and the Superfly is not even the Superfly s- splash, by the way. No, it's the Superfly standing cross cross body. Because he could, I don't think I I'm thinking they did it that way because I don't think he could take the bump, so they did it so Orton could kind of catch him. Yeah, I guess. It looked real awkward. Oh oh yeah oh it was. Yeah, it, it looked real lots of things. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like Orton tried to get something watchable out of this, but Snooka just had nothing. No. Mm. Oh, and the no. other thing that was weird that I really hated was Albano, like, Albano interfered when Orton went for the superplex. And it kind of annoyed me because I'm like, well, Orton really didn't do anything underhanded, and the faces shouldn't just cheat for the sake of right. it. Right. That really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. That that you don't just have the faces cheat just because. That doesn't work. No. The chases but, ha- the, the faces have to be provoked in some way. Right. But we didn't And Orton played it straight. He didn't really do anything underhanded. No. Who was the heel again? I'm not <laughs> Well, or- well Orton cheated at cards. It, I, he was accused of cheating at cards. Yes. I'm still not 100% sure. You That's know what? A, it doesn't matter. I'm going to say something nice. The Lou Albano looked really good in this. Like, he had obviously lost a lot of weight. Yeah. It, it was kind of like he had been... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? He had been doing the really hard work, uh, keeping himself up from doing the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he looked good, but it, it just, it was nonsensical. Yeah. Now, we get into, we get, in, okay, we're getting into some real dark shit here. This, so yes. buckle up. This kids. is the most, the most nefarious thing. Yeah, so this is, so we get a promo with, did Jim Neidhart cut a promo? No, I don't think so. Okay, I mean, he might have. I don't remember. So we get this, like, incomprehensible Jake promo, and it's obviously, mm. like, he's, he's fucked he's so uh, blessed i watched i watched this the the main event earlier today yeah i i messaged you guys it's like this outside of jeff the infamous jeff hardy incident in tna yeah he's supposed to be like you know main eventing against sting and it's like he was so clearly not functional we're forgetting yeah. we're forgetting the bulldog at um SummerSlam. <laughs> uh yes uh, that i i don't I don't really equate that because Bulldog, I don't think, was under the influence at that match. Uh, he had coke eyes pretty well. But <laughs> but Brett, like, walked him through that. And yeah. it is, seeing it again as, a, as an adult, like, knowing that backstory, like, it is so clear how Brett is, like, walking him through that match. Yeah. Like, shit. yeah. But it, he, Brett still dragged, like, a, a, a perfectly... A like, pretty good it, match out of him. It's not yeah. five stars, like people say, but it's way too good for, like, Bulldog being... Just absolutely yes. useless. Yes. It was watchable. Yeah. Uh, I personally feel like uh, outside of that Jeff Hardy incident, 
which is like it, clearly like he should not have been allowed to even like go outside the curtain. Yeah. Like you call an audible. Yeah. Like, even if like like that's the scheduled main event, be like, "Look, he can't, he can't compete." Like he, he make up a reason. Like, "Oh, he's sick." Like whatever. Yeah. Sting was and so ha- mad. I think the story that was that be. they couldn't find Jeff Hardy until he showed up to go through the curtain. They were like, "Where's he Jesus. at?" They know he's in the in the building, but they couldn't find him. And yeah. then he shows up to go through the curtain, so nobody was able to stop him because they're like, "Well, what the heck's?" And then there he goes, and it's like, uh... Sting handled like a pro. If you haven't seen it, pretty much what happens is the match starts. Sting death drops him and just like shoot pins him. Oh yeah. Well, like Bischoff comes out and says something to Sting and the ref, and he's like, "Jeff's messed up. You're just gonna have to like lock him down." And it's like, okay, well, yeah, um, makes sense to me. Yep, Jeff but, just doing Jeff Hardy things. Yeah, but outside of that, this Jeff, uh, sorry, uh, Jake was the most like not functional. Like should not have been allowed to go compete yeah. in yeah. a match I've ever seen. Like, he was he, slightly less fat than he was at November to remember, but he was still he had like cowboy boots and sweatpants on. I think. yes, yes, that that was his attire. It was like sweatpants. It's like you're not. And he looked like he hadn't bathed for a couple of days and he hadn't washed his hair in about a week. Just okay, so he cut a promo. And it, uh, this is the promo is like, Mr. Hitman, smoke crack. <laughs> Brains, I fucked. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't this... do the match. Can't take a flat but bump. He was talking about gambling, but I I, I can't even remember because it was just incomprehensible. You're a gambler. We're in a gambling. Get in the ring with me. You're taking a gamble. You want to play 21? I got 22. You want to play aces and eights? Maybe I got too many of those too. And he's just – I remember this promo because I used to have like the more and more inappropriately named but the best of Botchamania video from way far back just had that promo in it except it clipped in jake hitting himself in the forehead every time he said one of those things because mm. he only did that at the end we want to play 21 i got 22 you want to play blackjack i got two of those you want to play aces and eights maybe i got too many of those you know he's just smacking himself in the forehead and then jake kind of meanders his way down to the ring and grabs this woman's hands and gets gets her to like and like forcibly rubs her hands on his chest and he's like mm, I'm sublitzed you know it's it's it is honestly it's uncomfortable yeah it, it is a it is a car wreck in human form the referencing Damien I don't think he had, had he he even hadn't have had hadn't had Damien like for the last couple years of his wwe run because remember i think earthquake killed damien mm-hmm. <laughs> but um so nightheart comes out and so this they they start doing stuff and nightheart's really trying but jake's just fucking useless yeah and um so he gets the snake out and starts doing some highly inappropriate shit with the snake well, um, at first he didn't get the snake out. He just teased it, but he left the bag untied. Yeah, so the snake's like coming out on its own. It's, it's, it's coming out. out. Yeah. I, 
I messaged you guys. It's like the gut, the snake is coming out, and it's like it's low key like horrific. Well, yeah, I the think snake is just full on poking its head at. I think out. Dutch is like Dutch is like I think Dutch is trying to tell people like you gotta get the fucking snake before it kills someone. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> See, he starts doing highly inappropriate stuff with the snake. Now, yeah. Um, the show sucks, but I have to hand it to them. I think what they did here was probably like the best thing you could do in this situation. So essentially they audible this and Bundy and Yokozuna come out and they change this into a tag. So mm-hmm. the interesting thing for me in watching this was, first of all, the gimmick of the main event, which was the thousand pound challenge, Bundy versus Yoko. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? That's Okay, that's a gimmick that's got some legs. Except that 700 of the 1,000 pounds were on one guy. Yeah, but I mean, the the point remains. But then they're like, oh, my God, Jake is so jacked up. Make this a tag. That is That was a honestly the best audible I think they could have called. Yes, in real life, that was like the backstory. It was that Jake was clearly like messed up and that it, you were supposed to get like Bundy versus Yoko. Which would have been and, terrible because Yoko could not move. No, it, it would have been bad, but it, it, that was like supposed to be in it. Like they called an audible that it was going to be a tag match. And all of a sudden it was. And actually, I felt like that. Well, this is this is this is like horrible. It's like a horrific thing. But I did yeah. feel like that. You, it was the best audible they could have called. Like it, it salvaged something out of this. Although like, it really was like Nightheart and Bundy taking this way too seriously. And then Jake being like an absolute wreck. Yeah. And Yoko being really unable to move. Like no. he barely was yeah. able to do any spots the, at all. The body was willing, but the, the flesh was spongy and bruised. <laughs> yeah. Very, and very large. Yes. yes. No, yes. I mean, I mean, okay, I've, I've made some jokes and I'm going to just be honest. Like he was uncomfortably mm-hmm. fat yeah. in this. Like, like I do not know how the man was walking. Like, I don't... He had no business being in the ring. Yeah. Um, and we had this this whole thing going where... Um, oh, shit. He was dead within a year after this at 34. That does not shock me. Does this say what he weighed by the end? Oh, probably just... Probably... Way over 700, if I was going to guess. Really? Uh, let's see. Because because it was it was if 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 my memory serves, okay, it would have been it was just staggeringly big. See, so um, the last major appearance for Yokozuna was at October's 1999's Heroes of Wrestling pay per view. At an estimated 760 pounds, he had not oh only gained the weight that he had lost, but and admitted that he intentionally he was intentionally getting bigger with a goal weight between 850 and 900 so that he would set a new record for the heaviest professional wrestler ever blah 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 that i can't even tell you how what bad bad idea that was well i mean yeah 34 he's 34 when he died yeah like that I said, look, I'm I'm north of 34 at this point. I can't tell you how like young that is, in my opinion. Like that's ridiculous. And you know, the the sad thing is, like, when you hear guys talk about him, especially like his cousins and stuff, 
they were talking about what a good guy he was that like he would you know he really took care of people with his success and everything yeah but yeah he was he was dead by 2000 i mean it, it's really sad i mean that's why that's why i hate those shows that like um that tlc does now oh the, like, the... thousand pound fucking whatever 600 pound yeah, life my stuff. 600 pound life oh yeah. my yeah that, my thousand just... pound life it's like that's you're you're condoning this yeah like, it's in highly a way. exploitative there yeah. it is that's the thing is it's terrifically exploitative. A lot of that stuff comes out of an abuse cycle. What are you what are you doing? Like honest to God, straight up, what are you doing with this? Yeah, and because because honestly, like um and I, I don't mean this I know i I know I've made some off color comments about Yokozuna, but when you do stuff like that, a lot of those people are just like you're watching someone kill themselves. Yes. Like um, they're eating away some fucking horrific event in their life or some like just hole in their life. And you're, you're literally watching those people kill themselves for profit. We, if, if someone was like just shooting up heroin or just being like drinking horrifically, like, like obviously Jake had issues with, yeah. with, with, Both, with, yeah. well, with drugs and alcohol, but if you were to see a dude do that, you'd be like, oh, we got to stop this intervention. It's like, OK, well, it's different. But if you see a dude who's like at least 600 pounds and just eating himself, I want to get bigger. It's like you would you should have the same attitude where it's like this has to stop. Like you have the human body is not meant for that. No. Yeah. And I mean, like you can't I mean. I've been up and down the scale. I've been close to 300. I've been down to 185. Um, did not have a lot of severe health issues from being big for most of my life, but I did get diabetes, which is in and of itself like a problem. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it went away pretty quick. And a lot of other problems I had went away from losing the weight. Um, but it's hard though, because what people don't understand or appreciate is, um, you have an unhealthy relationship with food when you're fat. Yeah. And unlike, like if you're another addict, it's hard enough, but you cannot drink alcohol if you're an alcoholic. But when you have food issues, you still have to eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a thing that like that food is ridiculously hard. If you have issues with food, cause it's like, well, you have to eat, you have to eat to like live, literally you have to eat to live. But if you were just consuming so much, it's obviously like way bad the other way. Yeah, and uh, and mm-hmm. the other thing is like when once you've lost it though, I mean you get there's so much like when you when you're an alcoholic and you quit drinking, most people have the good sense to be like, um, okay, I'm not gonna offer you booze. Right. But you know when you lose weight, some people are like, well, I know you're watching, so we did something healthy. But so like, oh hey, uh, you came over and we have like mashed potatoes and like all these like carbs and like shit that's bad for you that could like totally send you on like a death spiral of and eating it, bad but it's not it's not malicious it's no. just like hey this is something that tastes good we thought you'd like that like, and it's like i appreciate it and it's like and it's like well why are you why did you only take a little like smidge and like because that's all i can eat and not yeah. gain weight i look i'm 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 fighting to get mine down too for the simple reason. I have a thyroid issue. Like, there's no way around it. I just straight. I have, um, 
I've got thyroid issue. And so here I am trying, pushing back because it was undiagnosed for like eight years. I didn't know what the hell was happening to me. You know, I'm pushing back. I'm trying to do all this sort of stuff. Right. And the other thing that happens is when it comes to losing that weight, your body is accustomed to X amount of intake. And in doing so, your body's like, hey, I'm not getting as much of what I used to get here. What's going on? And your body goes into this panic mode because it thinks that you're starving because, you know, our bodies aren't smart enough to know supermarkets exist. And, um, you know, it's just it's a scary place to be because what do you do? Right. So in my weight loss mode right now, I get a little more when I'm maintaining. But so to lose a pound a week, I get one thousand nine hundred and thirty calories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you can down that in a Big Mac value meal, I think. Yeah, depending on what you get to drink, yes. And um, like a milkshake, just oh, take yeah. a third of that off. Yeah, um, yeah. Because people are like, well, don't you get hungry? It's like, yes, I get hungry all the time. It's like, what do you do? Like, well, some days I just drink hot water and hope it helps. Yeah. And it's like you eat a lot of chicken because chicken's pretty much free. Yeah. If it's like just grilled. Yeah. Grilled chicken is is calorie neutral. Yeah. Well, and way back in the day, I did like Weight Watchers and I don't do that anymore uh, since I like lost a lot, a ton of weight. I don't do it anymore, but you could you kind of learn to eat healthier. Weight uh, Watchers but... is Weight Watchers is a good one because they say that one's scientifically proven. Um, I don't like it because a lot of the ways I lost weight, like they punish you for on points. Yeah, uh, I see. I when I I when, like it's been like twenty years since I did Weight Watchers, but I did it back in like the old point system. They changed mm-hmm. it up. Uh, but I I I like Weight Watchers, and I think that it's good at least like the old method because it basically was just like you're just counting calories like you are uh you you train yourself to be like oh i can't have like i can't have dessert because that'll ruin things and i need to eat healthier you like you eat like lean protein and eat more vegetables uh, or but, you do the you do the opposite, where it's like I'm having dessert today. That means I am fucking starving myself all day to get that sweet, sweet piece of yeah. cake. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's also it also it is good because you like train yourself with the the point system, uh, where it's like if I'm going okay, so if I want to have like a good point uh, reduction or have, be okay on my points, it's like okay, I will eat things that are like high in fiber. Uh, which is – that was always like the cheat thing for me. It's like, oh, man, like what am I going to eat for – oh, I can eat like a bowl of chili. And you're like, yeah. chili? It's like, no, but like all the beans in the chili, like actually like the fiber like maxes you out. So it's it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough. And I've shared before uh, that my mother sadly passed away from complications of diabetes. So it's, it's a really a, a terrible insidious disease. So people – nowadays it's like oh you can't fat shame people i'm like no one's fat shaming it's just like certain things like you need to be careful with your health because if you develop things like diabetes like that's actually really bad for you so you Mm -hmm. should do what you can to minimize that and i think the fat shaming thing is like everything else in this social media age is like 
I think what fat shaming means is you shouldn't be a dickhead to people because they're fat. Mm-hmm. But it's exactly. turned into you should just accept me for being fat. And it's like, well, no, like I want you to lose weight because um, it's healthier. Yeah, because you're like you're a ticking time bomb. And the sooner you you fix yourself, because like I'll say, like I was fat until I mean, and I, I had to lose. I'm I'm still like in my second half of losing because I, I gained it all back during covid which a lot of people gain weight, but I've, I've lost like 60 pounds of it now. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but what people don't understand though is like, you can say that stuff, but like, so yeah, I, I'll probably get back down. And I think where I'm at now is better, but you know, I could be dead by 55 because of the years of like not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and you know, you just because, I feel like what what the fat shaming has really turned into is another one of those like well I I just don't want to like if if I pretend like there's no consequences for my actions then there's not it's like this this weird thing where people like want to change like their reality a bit and like for me when I lost the weight I was kind of like you know I get it but I kind of wish like I had gotten my toes stepped on a little more in life because I think um it might have kicked me in the ass to lose the weight sooner and like i don't mean bully people but like you know there there's some things you know when you're fat like you can't fit in the seats at the arena and stuff and then like when you're skinny you're like oh like i have all this room and um i don't know i just i have i have, I have a real struggle with it because i don't think you should be shitty to people about it but i also think like a lot of the people that are big proponents of that are really irresponsible and like what they're doing Because the thing is, like for me, is like if you're if you're if you're really heavy, it's not a matter of if, but when you're gonna run into health problems. And I say that as someone that you know really dodged the diabetes bullet. Yeah, yeah. And was lucky to do it because other people are, are not as lucky as I was. I was super, I was super duper lucky with what happened with me with that. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's. How can I best? It, it's hard to put into words the way to to think about this sort of stuff because it's like, I mean, in hindsight, you could look at Yoko and be like, Yoko, you shouldn't have done this to yourself. It's like, look, man, I'm not saying that I want to, you know, yell at Yoko because you know, Yoko, you know, uh, what was the Mitch Hedberg joke? Yeah, you know, the. It, there are some diseases you can be mad at people for having and get away with it. It's like, damn it, Otto, you're an alcoholic. Damn it, Otto, you're a diabetic. But you can't say, damn it, Otto, why do you have lupus or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> I never heard that. That's funny, though. Um, and I may not be remembering it quite right. No, that, that's, me, ringing but, a, that's ringing a bell with me. But, um, you know, it's there's a lot of stuff that rolls into it and there's a lot of, I don't think that it's bad that there is a, a, a big movement for the, Hey, let's all quit being assholes to each other with through the internet kind of movement. Like I'm down for that. I'm glad that it's happening, but, um, Hey, you know, it, it, there's there, it feels to me 
and maybe I'm not being fair about this. I could I can freely admit maybe I'm not being fair or I'm not handling this properly. But it feels to me like there's a lot of people who seem to uh, revel in something being wrong with them. Does that make like? Oh no, there's to- there's totally yeah. um, there's a real not with the fat thing, but like there's a real fetishizing of depression. Yeah, um, and there's which. Like, which I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the curtain back now and talk about why why that pisses me off. Okay, so if you don't know, and this has happened in the course of the show, so I I am medicated for depression. Like I had severe depression and anxiety, and it really fucking pisses me off when people use it as an excuse or act like it makes them interesting. It's like no, I I suffer from depression. Yeah. It fucking sucks. Do you know what happened to me when we went on vacation? Um last year i forgot to take my fucking pill sunday the day before i went back and i fucking had a massive anxiety attack going into work that day because i missed one fucking pill like do you know how much that that sucks yeah to deal with saying saying that hey i have anxiety or saying hi hey i'm depressed or something like that that's i mean yeah it happens it is it is something that very very much happens, but my thyroid was messed up, my hormones were messed up. I was continually depressed. I didn't know what the hell was going on. It was bothering me a lot. But I can't, you know, what am I? What am I? I I, I didn't know what was going on until it finally got to the point where I was really concerned I was going to hurt myself. And I finally went and got some help, and they were like, it, it, it worked for a while because it was like, okay, we are we are treating this, but it was the it was the symptom, not the cause. You know, I finally figured out it was my thyroid, and it was screwing up all my hormones in my brain and stuff. Um, it's it's not fun, it's not quirky, and it is something that seems to be happening more with the the Zoomer generation. In that it's being shorthand for a personality trait. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy. I, I really don't. No, and like for for me, um, you know, I had I had to fix some relationships and stuff, and you know, like there's there's some there's some fallout for it from my life that is not fun, and yeah. and honestly, like what you said, like I realized once I was medicated, like, huh. Like, that's probably a couple years from killing myself. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a scary place to be. Yeah, and people people get really weird about it, too. Like, well, like, aren't you worried it's going to numb you out? It's like, honestly, like, um, get in my head, you'll want to be numb. Like, trust me. Given the options I had, given the options of how I was feeling, it's like, I would rather not have to be numb, but... You, when I, given the choices I had, yes, I would take that. Like I, I was, times. I was at a point in my life. I think it was like the first when it really started taking effect. Something happened, and I, I reacted a certain way. And then it dawned on me, like, oh, this is how normal people react to stuff. Like that's not a good revelation to have in your life when you're yeah. forty in your forties. Yeah, yeah. And because like so. Just to go a little deeper into it, why it pissed me off, because like you know, I was talking about it, and my wife was sitting there, and I told him I had struggled with depression for like a decade, 
and I got off the phone, I'm like, well, oh, I wasn't honest with him. Like, in hindsight, she's like, why? I'm like, it was more like 20 years. And then I'm like, no, it was like since I've been like 13. And then she's like, oh. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, it, it upsets me as someone that's struggled with it my whole life. Like, it, it fucking sucks. And, like, I have... I have legitimate anger issues with it sometimes because it robbed me of part of my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, that's why I get upset about it because it's, it sucks. It's not, it's not interesting. It doesn't make you like interesting. Like it is, it is a fucking like bitch to deal with. It is yeah. a disease. I, and I personally, uh, the thing I struggle with, with I guess with it's more like the, the Zoomers, uh, I guess some like millennials, but it's like I, I do have you want to have compassion, and I do have compassion for people, but it kind of is that that same way where it's like when they act like de- like mental illness, uh, and, and I include depression, anxiety because that's the most common mental illness that people have, and and people have weird things. I do I do think it should be destigmatized in the sense that if you have depression and anxiety, it's like you can say like you're you have mental illness and that's fine because you do, but you shouldn't be like my dad's generation where it's like, oh oh you call me crazy. It's like that's that's the wrong attitude to have too. Because no, my dad yeah. and that's dad, why I'm really yeah. honest with people about my being medicated and stuff because yeah. like I want people to see like in my own small way. It's like no you know look, you know me you you know I'm normal. Like, but I, I have to take medication for it because it's my struggle in life. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's where you need to destigmatize it and just be like, no, this is something we, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's like a cross you bear. It's not that you're crazy. It's like a cross yeah. you carry. It, I, it is, you should destigmatize it. But at the same time, it's like, it's look, mental illness, it, it's not your superpower. Okay. It's like, you're not special per se for having this. Like, and it's, it's not it's a. Some, it's not a it's not a it's not a end all be all shield for bad behavior too. Yes, exactly. It's like you you it's something that it's a hurdle that you should be looking for a way to overcome because you should be a more complete human being. And again, like if you have depression, if you have anxiety, like that doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you deficient. It just means like okay, this is something I have to deal with. Uh, yeah. How do I how do I deal with it? How do I overcome that to become more functioning uh, on a daily basis? And you should you should be striving whatever that takes. That if it's like therapy, great. If you need medication, okay. Like that should be like destigmatized. But yeah, and and sometimes being like again, I was like, oh, it's special. We have this like sick. I feel it's sick, but I feel we have a sick thing as a culture where it's like the most like the victimization gets you like points it's like clout. Oh, a, yeah you clout like oh i'm a victim because i have like depression it's like look i have struggled in my lifetime i, I struggle like a lot with anxiety uh and i told like I, I just had a kid like the first like month of having a kid uh i would be like i was kind of like out of my source sometimes my wife was like you're like being insufferable what's wrong with you and i'm like because i have like so much stimulation because uh, my toddler's like acting up, like the baby's crying about something. Because it's a baby, it's like the baby wants to eat. The baby wants this. Some problem like a long-tailed baby. cat in a room room full of rocking chairs. Exactly. It's the like feeling. there's a lot of there's a lot of stimulation, and it's like I am just like really overstimulated right now. And 
things have gotten better because I'm not as stimulated because baby's calmed down, toddler's more back to normal toddler self. It's like, okay, like, great. Like that, that excess stimulation, like is not really affecting me because it's kind of gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time I was like, kind of going out of my head for a little bit. It's like, yeah, but that's, it, it passed in time, but it's also like, I, I wasn't special. Like it just, it's something that happens, but no. there's this yeah. victimization part of culture that it's like, oh, like I, I, I shouldn't get brownie points. It's like I personally feel like, look, it was something that I had to deal with. I dealt with it, and I'm better now. <laughs> if it's like just a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I don't need a pat in the back. It's just you do what you have to do to like get better. And yeah. if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, like do what you have to do, like uh, medication if you need to. And that is, it's not. You just try to like get become more functional and what works for you and happier. Yes, and and you shouldn't feel bad one way or the other. Like you should, you know, be like, okay, this is, it, 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 you should look at it as like this is a hurdle that I need to overcome. Like I can sleep for the first time in my life. It is it is amazing to and be able good. to go to bed and go to sleep. But the other Why thing I learned, yeah, the other thing I learned though is I, I did therapy for a bit. And they're kind of going over stuff with me, and and I learned pretty quick. And I was medicated at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I I got medicated. that went to therapy, which they told me I was actually really weird in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. they said like most people don't come in medicated. I'm like, oh well, I just was gonna attack it from all angles because I was like, um, yeah. So, but I they were going over with that me, and I you know I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, huh, like they're giving me all these tools and like, if I got off the medication, like I'm just like that my brain just does not produce some chemical. I need to not be depressed. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm medicated yeah. for the rest of my life. But like you said though, I don't, I don't need to feel special about that for me. Like for me, it's not something about brownie points. Like that is like, that is an obstacle in my life that needs to be mm-hmm. overcome. Yeah. There's um, I'm trying to remember the phrase for it that I use, but one of the things that I have observed over the course of my life for whatever that's worth is that we have, you have, if something happens to your body, you get cut, you know, something, you break a bone, something, your body's going to try and heal it. The problem is that if that happens to our brain, we don't know what to do. We straight up do not know how to handle that. <laughs> and that's and so um, that's part of the problem with stigmatization um, that happens because um, people have a really hard time understanding like that when someone has like a traumatic brain injury, like they really struggle in the aftermath of that person's personality changes. And people really struggle with the fact that like, yeah, like you have your personality, but your personality is a cluster of cells in your head that can be altered with um an accident yeah and what i was going to say is if if our brains do not heal properly then what we have is it being even more imperative that you go get help so that it can heal properly and if that means you need medication for it then by hell take medication for it shit you take medication for every other damn thing what's wrong with taking it for Something up with your brain. And let me tell you, I just fucking called my doctor up and told them my symptoms. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to we're going to start you on this and see how it goes. Yeah. Like, it's not hard. They do not 
judge you. They ask you some questions. The one thing you don't want to say if you're not thinking it because it'll get you in a shitload of trouble is do not say you're going to harm yourself if you don't actually have those thoughts because that goes... Um, that trips a bunch of alarms. Yeah. So if, yeah. if you're if you're having those thoughts, tell them that because you need the help. But if you're not, yeah. don't don't even like even hint that you might be because um, you won't like what happens. But uh, they'll just ask you some questions. Uh, you know, I told them what I was going through and they just I had pills like within two days and um, it took a while for me to really get interested in my hobbies again, I think it was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. I think that took about two months. Um, it's a weird process, uh, with that. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, like it's, it's not hard. Um, they, my doctor was super understanding about it. And then, you know, the therapist part is kind of hard. Like what I'll say about the therapist is if you don't like them, just start over with a new one. Like just yeah. treat, treat your therapist like someone you're dating. If you go out on the first date with them and you're not feeling it, just go back to the well. It, it is literally okay for you to say, hey, I, I know something's wrong. I need help with this, and you go get help. It, it's, it's not something – if your brain chemistry is screwed up, you can't just get over it. You can't just make yourself be better. It has – you have to have some sort of adjustment for it. So get that, <clears throat> and – and this is the you other thing. This is the other hell thing. Hell with I'm the like, people who. The hell with the people who look down on you for it. Screw them. They well, don't know what you're going through. They don't know what it's like. I was gonna say the one thing I learned in this process was, you might think you're alone, but when I started telling people about my problems, like, I'd say 75% of the people were like, oh yeah, my wife's on something, or oh yeah, I, I went to right. therapy, or oh yeah, I'm, I take that. Okay. Like, I, I I don't think we in th- this. This pay-per-view was so bad, it started us down on a very special episode of Four Corners Podcast. Yeah, I was – let's just say let I me, was glad I was medicated for this. Let me put it this way, and and this is a this is a, a spiel I do every now and then. But first of all, depression is a tricky bitch. It is a disease. It wants to persist. It will isolate you and try and push you away from any help you can get. Number two. It is a deceitful and evil motherfucker. Yes. Number two. Nobody deserves to feel that way. You are worth it. If you are afraid something is going to happen to you, if you're afraid you're going to hurt yourself and you live in the United States, pick up your phone, dial 988, National Suicide Helpline. They will help you. They are not judgmental. They will help you. One of my former coworkers works with them. Also, <clears throat> if you're struggling with it too, uh, just hop on the Facebook page because I'm the I'm the one that works with that and just send a message to the Facebook page and I'll talk to you because like I said I've been going you know I've I've been dealing with fixing it for the last year plus yeah this is this is the the story about you know the guy's walking down the street and he falls in a hole and you know, the doctor walks by, he says, doctor, can you help me? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down the hole. And the priest walks by, he says, father, can you help me? And he writes a prayer and throws it down the hole. And his buddy walks by, he says, can you help me? I'm down here. And his buddy hops down in the hole. He goes, you idiot, we're both here. And his buddy goes, yeah, I know, but I've been there and I know the way out. One in three, one in three adults in America is going to have 
a case of clinical depression. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just that that's the statistics. The scary part and women do a lot better with this than men do in America because <clears throat> when women have it happen, about half of them realize something's wrong and about half of them get help for it. Here's what happens with men. One in three men in America will have clinical depression. One in three of them will realize something's wrong. One in three of them will realize will tell someone about it, and only one in three of them will actually get help. One percent of men in America with clinical depression actually get help. The scary part is that men are five times more successful at committing suicide than women are. Well, the problem is, though, it's, it's men – Men being vulnerable is super stigmatized it in is. our society, and we're we're not allowed to talk about that because, you know, you're some kind of raging misogynist if you want to talk about um, men's issues. Well, it, um, if in this country look, right now, so. I will say I will say straight up, if you are if if you are struggling with thoughts of harming yourself. Buck what anybody else thinks and get help because you are worth it. People who are going to look down on you for getting help in one of the darkest times of your life are not people you need in your life because that means – and I I hate to be – this is going to sound like I'm being hyperbolic about it. But if people look down on you and give you shit for getting help because you're afraid that you're going to hurt yourself, they they, – whether they realize it or not, they are actively working for you to die. So – Fuck them. Fuck everybody else. Go get the help because you deserve it. Yeah. And you don't hear me talk like that much, but that's how important this is. Go get that help because the sooner we can normalize the fact that, hey, this is bad stuff that happens to everybody and getting treatment for it is the same as doing things like getting a flu shot or getting stitches or getting your, you know, getting a bone sent because it broke. It's just another injury that we've got that we can treat the better things are going to get for everybody yeah that's kind of uh so for me i kind of originally went in because my family but you know once i got fixed i was like oh um yeah fuck everyone uh i do the you know i do this for me yeah like because i i just if i could if i could share if i could share what it was like um the first couple of months. Um, it was amazing. Like when, when it started to become normal, I started to have panic attacks every now and then that, that the pills weren't working anymore just because that was becoming normal. Like I had to, I had to adjust to negative emotions being acceptable. Yeah. It's, it, you're going to have normal emotions. Yeah. It's just That's... different. It's the best description or the best artistic representation I've ever seen of depression was this withered husk gets up, gets out of bed, walks over to the closet, takes out a skin suit of a happy person and zips it on and walks out the door. Um, It's not I'm sad all the time. It's that everything in your life seems to have kind of lost its luster. Everything that has happened, everything that happens there doesn't it doesn't seem to have any draw. It doesn't seem to – nothing seems to be good is is really the biggest telltale sign of depression stuff. So uh, once 
once you find treatment, once you're working on getting better, once all this sort of stuff happens, <clears throat> you're going to have, like everybody else, good days and bad days. Yep. And traumatic stuff can really mess you up. Um, it's it's the severity, I, I don't... like, for me. So, like, so for me now, if something pisses me off. I'm much more likely to react in an angry manner now than I was before. Mm-hmm. But I react, it's done and over with. It's not like it doesn't ruin my day. It doesn't like, or ruin my week, or, you know, everything, everything is more in proportion to what it should be. And I have like a center line. Yeah. It's the, look, I don't talk about this. I, I didn't really talk about it when it happened much, but, you know, last June, my dad died. I loved my dad. I was very close to my dad. And it screwed me up, especially since my brain chemistry had already been screwed up before. And I I had to get help again because, oh, I knew what that path was. I knew where I was going. And then after after I started like I had I have thyroid medication because once you once your thyroid screwed up, you have to have it. But I got other help, too. And once I started taking that medication, a few things happened. Number one. I was able to deal with stuff a lot better, just like Brad said. Number two, my reactions weren't as severe, um, and I was not – it was a traumatic event because it came out of nowhere. There was no warning. Truth be told, everything that happened, the, dad was doing great. Everything with the doctor was great, and then one day – he and mom were at the house and he was walking towards her to do something. And then he was gone before he hit the floor. Like that's traumatic. And that damages you. And even once you get help, if something like that happens, that's a new injury. It's not that stuff isn't working. That's a new injury to you that you should get treatment for. And it's okay. All right. It, it, if I can walk into a jail and teach a room full of, you know, convicted felons every week about this sort of stuff, I'm not scared about talking with whoever might download this episode, okay? This is this is important enough that I need for you to do it. Okay? Because it's not like it's ever going to be on the news. It's not going to be like, you know, such and such person in this place and fan of the Four Corners podcast committed suicide today. But the fact that you're out there, I need you to hear me. You are a human being who is worth more than having than having that happen to you. So please, please, please get the help you need. I don't care what the stigma is. I don't. You are worth that. And if I did not take the opportunity to say something to whoever might have us in your ear right now, I would be doing a grave disservice. So this is me telling you from the guy who's been in the hole, same as what Brad was saying, the guy who's been, well, not the same, but close enough, who's been in the hole. Get the help you deserve because you are a person who's worth it. And now I'm going to quit because. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to wrap this up. So um, 
So let's go round table. Oh, just one last thing about this match. Um, they were taking some real liberties with Jake with the chair shots because they were oh, taking some frustration out on his head. <laughs> yes. And I also, this match was like 90% Jake. Uh, just getting his ass guy. beat. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. It's like, he's clearly not. Maybe it's like, maybe it is them taking liberties because it's like, I'm pissed off that you I, showed up in this I think but i think yoko couldn't move so i think they were stuck <laughs> that's and like that's 50 percent yeah. of that is them just putting boots to him while he was down mm. yeah so let's let's round table this um i'll just start us off this was <clears throat> the worst show i've ever seen this is this has no value whatsoever to watch don't watch it um this is not like the uwf thing where i'd say yeah you might get some laughs you won't there are, there are no laughs to be had yeah. In this. Uh, I would say this is the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> the best match is uh, Julio Fantastico versus Scorpio, which I would at most put it as like the quality of like AEW Dark. But maybe I'd give it because... a star and a half. <clears throat> yeah. That's maybe the best match. That, that is the best match. Like, I would not rate it higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I describe after I finished this show, I described it as this is what a hellworthy torture would be like because it takes something that you would probably enjoy with people who should know better and takes everything about it and makes it awful. So everything that you would think you could enjoy going into this sucks instead. This is this is like someone in it's, this is like the music teacher in hell who has to listen to the off-key recorder playing over and over for all eternity, equivalent for wrestling fans. This is like Al Bundy when he went in hell and it was just his life. <laughs> <laughs> so, just just don't. Like, if you haven't seen this, just don't. don't. Your, your life will be enriched by not. Yeah, watching this okay it, you are better off that way there's plenty of like free youtube stuff like don't it's this is bad just yeah just a part of me died watching this you know just go outside feel touch, the sunshine touch some grass <laughs> just drink water marvel in this this fluid liquid rolling down your throat and nourishing your body because even the most mundane thing, like enjoying a drink of water, is going to be so far ahead of what this nightmare was. And I'm only hyperbolizing a little bit. It's it's you you are better off not they're not wasting your time because it's here, what I'll two hours you're never gonna get back. Here, I'll tell you I'll tell you how to get the experience of this show in like two seconds that the watching two and a half hours of this is so go go stick your hand in a mouse trap and that's what it feels like <laughs> i saved you two and a, i saved you two and a half hours of your life all right so um this has been both a traumatic and very special episode of the four corners podcast uh we would love to hear from you on social media but for now, all I got left to say is we've been in three quarters, you're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time.